0: Welcome to Big Gay Energy. I'm Brie. I'm Theora. And I'm Caitlin. Come along with us while we dive into the fun and nuances of queer media. Representation matters, and we're here to talk about it. Cheers, queers! What's on the Big Gay agenda today, Theora? Today, we are talking about Heartstopper Season 2, Episode 7 sorry it just it made me think of the game the way you said that but anyway is that how you say the game name i have no idea i don't know you're supposed to be like when you like pick up a sorry card or something be like sorry i don't know actually how to play the game anyway I get, it's not relevant i think it depends on how you play the game because i'm more competitive so i'd be like Haha, sorry bitch <laughs> So. We've not, we haven't played a competitive game together. That would be very interesting. No, we've played co-op, co-op games. <laughs> Friendships might be broken if we both played an actual competitive game together. Precisely. So, yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. We're going to start early in the morning. It's not actually early. It's midday. And Tara yeah. and Darcy are doing what they do best. Uh, they're kissing in Tara's bed they're very good at it and tara's mom respects her privacy so she actually knocks on the door which i love and (laughs) darcy rolls off the bed to pretend that they weren't in bed together okay but like roll is such a kind word she doesn't roll though like if you watch tara like panic pushes darcy (laughs) and so she kind of like with that momentum falls off the bed because yeah mom's at the door stop being gay <laughs> and also yeah mom is also like um girls it's like the afternoon what are... <laughs> um are you going to are you alive and like good for them because they're just being gay until noon so they're gonna hy- it up all day long mhm hydrate for them and i also love that mom Definitely pretends to not hear Darcy loudly land on the floor because it's not like she subtly ninja like rolls onto the floor and everything's cool. She like it's like boom, <laughs> Darcy's on the floor. You know, maybe she didn't hear it. You don't know what she heard. Well, Ma- I think mom is aware of their relationship because she knocks to be like please stop doing whatever you're doing <laughs> <laughs> she's like i do not need to know as much as i will probably if i open this door right now right and she's like there's a loud bang i don't need to know about that let's just move on and they start talking for a bit and we get confirmation in the scene that tara is out to her parents because mom comments on it but she's not out to her granny because granny would have a heart attack if she knew See, now, if you ever have an issue with Granny, that is definitely the way to get back at her. Just tell her and give her a heart attack. Well, I don't even know if it's just that Tara's out. I think it's that Tara's having sleepovers with her girlfriend. So, like, Mom knows what's going on is the point here. But Granny, Granny would tisk tisk at this (laughs) all the way to the hospital. So let's not tell Granny. Um, Other things, we get, this is the first time I think we see Tara's room on screen and it's adorable and like so colorful and bright and it just fits her personality so well. There's like a there's like stuffed unicorns all over the place, little like ballet dancer stuff. And like with Nick, uh Tara does have pictures of her and Darcy all over the walls, which is so freaking cute. And it's next to a stuffed unicorn, which basically if Darcy was a stuffed animal, like <laughs> she would she would be a pink unicorn stuffed animal. Let's keep uh, it 100. With a rainbow tail. Yes. And a rainbow. It has a rainbow horn too. So like it's, Oh, it does? Yes. It cool. is Darcy the stuffed animal. So I love it. <laughs> Darcy in stuffed animal form. Darcy the stuffed animal. And the last thing in Tara's room that is important and foreshadowing and amazing. The most important, right? The most important is the Taylor Swift folklore poster. So we'll circle back to that in the next episode because foreshadowing uh, other thing I want to point out in this scene. So this this episode allegedly like picks up sh- very shortly after they get like the Paris trip concludes. So it seems that like Darcy went straight to Tara's house after the Paris trip, based on their conversation. So I wonder if the text she got from her mom while they're in the Louvre was basically like "Don't come back" or or something nasty, because like we didn't see it; we just saw be like hey is that your mom and darcy's like yeah fuck that whatever um, so i'm just i'm curious if that was like the catalyst for darcy to be like yeah i'm not ready to go home quite yet you think she said don't come back well, I, I don't know something along the lines to make darcy not want to come home you know what i mean i don't know the exact text because we never see it i think it's probably just something that she was like really mad at her about something like maybe she didn't clean or something or like maybe she did something before she left and she was just really mad. And she's like I don't feel like dealing with this right now. Maybe I'll just tell her that it, the trip was extended. I'm sure her mom doesn't care or know the length of the trip to be honest. That's fair. But unfortunately Darcy has to go home tonight cuz Tara's mom's like enough with the sleepovers. Like you need to go home. <laughs> like I'm a cool I'm a cool mom, but I'm not that cool. Darcy, you got to go home. Like it's been 84 years. You got to go home. <laughs> <laughs> i mean tara's mom should just uh, uh foster her at that point i mean yeah i mean but again they don't know the extent of darcy's home life but it is nice that tara's mom's being cool and letting them have sleepovers because like i don't think my mom would be that cool when i was their age <laughs> so there's that so Yeah, well, that's nice. While the girls are being gay, Nick is at home not having a sleepover with his boyfriend. But instead, he is reminiscing about the Paris trip by scrolling through all of his photos. And he's, like, got a huge smile on his face because Nick loves photos as memories. Like, he's the one always taking them. And here he is looking through them. But his smile falters when when he comes across a particular photo. And it's a photo of them at that dinner where Emogen basically broke up with Ben in the most epic way possible. And it's like Nick took a selfie and it's like of the whole table. And it's from the context clues, it's like the end of the meal. Cause like everybody's plates are basically empty except Charlie's. Charlie's plate looks like it just arrived. Cause Nick zooms in and he's like, oh, all of Charlie's food is still there. So he realizes that Charlie's eating disorder is still ongoing, even if Charlie isn't talking about it. Well damn, damn he, Theora. So he gets worried. What do you mean damn? I didn't realize that. Yeah. He he zooms in on it in the in the episode. Apparently I didn't pay attention to that. There's that. <laughs> so yeah, Nick's it's Nick is still worried about Charlie because Charlie's not talking to him about this, but Nick, the ever observant protective boyfriend, is just like picking up on all the signs. I love that uh Imogen is living her best life. Yeah, I mean, she. this is post-Ben, so she's thrilled with all her friends. Screw fun. the misery. Yep, yeah, she don't need that misery. And then Charlie is also alone in his bed scrolling through Instagram when he gets a notification from Ben. Because, of course, he does. And it says, saw Nick's post. Can we talk? Wait, so he saw Nick's post. Yeah, because Nick, Nick's post is... Nick, at the end of the last episode, posted about them. Oh, yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So. You don't deserve his time. Well, no. Charlie swipes that notification away so fast and just sinks back into his dark thoughts. So, yeah. I I mean, what Nick doesn't seem to know, really, is just how bad of a trigger Ben is for Charlie's mental health, not just because of the stuff that like went down with the two of them that Nick witnessed, but everything proceeding to that with his outing and bullying and stuff. And I feel like Ben is just a trigger for all of that. And so, you know, he's looking at all these happy memories he's having with Nick as he's trying to like move on and try and get better or at least like pretend like everything's better because he hasn't fully processed everything. He's just been stuck with it uh internally and so Ben is just that constant reminder of like the past and like and like he's not worthy and, like all this kind of stuff so he just goes back into his, his his bad thoughts which is sad. Poor little Charlie. I know. I just I want the best for him. I know. Uh then while all this is going on, Elle receives the news that she got into Lambert and they chose her piece for their exhibit and the exhibit's called Here and Queer. Which is great. Yeah. It's really great. Like uh, like what are the odds? <laughs> first of all, <laughs> in a queer show. But it's super cute that like you know, this particular so Ella's really trying to find her place and she already kind of feels at home at Lambert just by having gone through the like sixth form welcome, like check this place out kind of thing. But then to be invited to be exhibited in this very, like, welcoming type of exhibit for specifically they put to celebrate young queer and trans artists. It, it must just be like, OK, this is beyond a sign that this is where I need to go, that this is where I belong. Like, I mean, I feel like there's nothing more welcoming than that. Exactly. Exactly. So it's just beyond perfect. So I'm happy for Elle. So these are all pretty quick scenes. And we head to Tao dancing. Oh my god, it's the cutest fucking thing ever! (laughs) It's so cute. Tao is just so happy happy dancing. (laughs) And then his mom walks in and says that he looks so happy, which he does. Because he is. He is. Tal lets her know that he and Elle are together and his mom is so excited. It's ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, she's their ship captain. She has been for a while. And I love exactly what she says to him, which is, the perfect girl for my perfect boy. It's just so fucking cute. I want to hug Tal's mom.
1: (sighs) And hooray for
0: good parents. Yes, hooray for good parents, which positive rep in this show for the most part, minus, like, mm-hmm. Charlie's family, I think. And Darcy's. a uh, Darcy's and D- David. Fuck that guy. And Nick's dad, I guess. There's a lot of supportive parents, but there's some fuck- fucking shitty ones, too. But whatever. But that's life. That's life. Exactly. So, and just like life, Tao's mom is so excited that she's like, I have to... I have to go call our entire family now because she's like, I've been waiting for this. Because like, okay, I think Tao is a lot like his mom. Because like in the sense that like he, when his feels are so big, he has to like do something with them. Hence why he was like physically dancing. Tao's mom's like, my feels are so big right now. I have to tell everyone. It's the cutest fucking thing on the planet. And I love it so much. (laughs) Okay. So at this point, texts the group chat that her piece got into the art show and Tao immediately asks if she got into the school and got a place and I think I believe she starts to say "Uh, I got in but she just decides to lie and say not yet she doesn't know yeah they both go through that thing where they're like you see through text they type their first thought and they're like "Mm, I don't know and they backpedal so like Everybody else is like, yeah, yay, go, Elle. We have to shop and, like, get outfits for your exhibit. We're so excited. But Tao's first thought is, does that mean you're leaving? Like, that's his first thought to, like, the exhibit. But then he changes it, and he's like, did you get in? Which means the same thing, but it's a nicer way of saying that. And then Elle, basically, her first reaction is to be honest and tell Tao because they've been friends for I don't know how long, but they're very close, and they tell each other everything. But to tell Tao that, she understands that, like, that would make him upset. And she's like, well, I haven't – I don't know. Maybe I won't go. Maybe I won't. So she decides to just, like, keep it to herself while she figures out what she really wants and, like, what's best for her. So she's kind of like, no, not yet. So basically, like, they're in this limbo of, like, being fully honest with each other because they're afraid of how the other one's going to react, basically, and what that would mean for – Whatever their relationship is at this point. But also, they just got happy. No, exactly. And, like, that's the thing. It's like, oh, I just finally got this thing I've wanted. Because, like, Elle has been pining forever. And Tao has been pining but didn't realize it forever. So, like, to finally have that and then be like, oh, man, it's going to go away in a few weeks or so. Like, that's scary, you know? Yeah. So, it's hard. It's a hard position. Let's just pretend it's not happening. We'll pretend it's not happening and go to Nick's house yeah that's exactly where I was going with that thank you perfect and the first thing I noticed apparently is that Nellie is back that's what you always (laughs) notice Nellie Nellie was not in the season enough just saying you should read the books because Nick gets another dog but Nellie Nellie's still there but he gets a puppy okay ready Nellie's back <laughs> Nellie's back happy Nellie thoughts whoa I love Nellie Nellie's such a good dog she is but seriously the books Nick Nick gets another puppy you should check that out what kind of puppy the pug ah oh, they're not my favorite but you I know, know dogs are dogs it's cute mm-hmm.
1: um and but sadly yes. Yeah.
0: sadly uh Nellie's back but David never left gross <laughs> i can can we like i know ship him away can we turn him into the pug? that'd be great with a better personality yeah anything's better than david let's keep it real yes. but we have to have some tension here so like let's resolve this nonsense fine all right. So, Nick asks if he can invite Charlie over when his dad comes for dinner, because if he has to be stuck with his dad at dinner, you may as well have the person you love with you. Yep, just saying. And Olivia Coleman just goes all out and says they should just invite his whole family and make it a dinner party. They both really do not want to be alone with his father. No, clearly. <laughs> or David. They're like, more people as buffers, <laughs> please. We hate them. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong with this entire family meeting together it's either be worried about what those two will say oh, and God. embarrassed to have anybody over or just need the people there so you don't have to listen to them no exactly the biggest burn is when david bitches that nick gets to invite someone and he doesn't he's like come nick gets to bring somebody and levy coleman's like do you have someone to invite david crickets it's like he crickets. didn't ask to invite him. if you asked yeah probably you could bring anyone you wanted well, I like Nick's smug face says it all though, because like the the point of this is is that David keeps ragging on Nick for having a boyfriend, but Olivia Coleman's like, are you dating anybody? Yeah, I didn't think so. So why are you mad at Nick for being happy when you're unhappy? That's really what this is. It's like a jealous, envious thing from David that Nick is happy and he is not, and he's alone, and Nick has a boyfriend. So that's what Olivia Coleman's like, bitch in your place shut the fuck up which i thought was really funny (laughs) even his mom is like david you're so transparent i swear this is olivia coleman's episode oh yeah no it super is give her an emmy for this episode because it's olivia coleman and if you are not super familiar with olivia coleman just go listen to one of her like oscar or emmy accepted speeches she doesn't notoriously does not prepare for them as a way to like jinx herself for not winning so that every time she gets on stage she just rambles because there is no speech so just go watch them they're hilarious and endearing it's It's one of the reasons i love her yeah i love olivia coleman she's the best No. My, hold on. I'm sorry. Just this side note. My favorite one is when she didn't remember what movie she was promoting. On, oh yeah, Norton like, show or something. She's, <laughs> she's the like, best. What movie am I here Yeah, she's like, why am I here? I was just like on calendar B at this interview. I don't know what the interview is about. Like, I just love her so much. Like, she's. So I relatable. just do so much work. She does, but also like she's a, such a hot mess in real life, and I just love it. She's the actual best. She's great. She's great um speaking, speaking of, of what's great speaking of great we go back to the spring spring house and tori and charlie are playing mario kart because of course they are it's like the it's like the spring family game is like to play mario kart and as they're doing this charlie is talking about how fun the paris trip was and then he's like tori you should have come too and tori is my spirit animal because her response is summers are for sleeping not visiting old museums and like girl yes that's <laughs> such a tori line i fucking love it like, bitch, no. I gotta get my beauty rest. Fuck that shit. <laughs> I mean, I agree with the museum part. I, I agree with sleeping. Summer's for sleeping. Like, Tori gets it. I really hate sleeping. Anyway. so Charlie gets the invite, uh, through text from Nick. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, to invite- the- oh, my gosh. Okay, so Charlie gets the invite for his family to come over and- Tori reminds him that mom isn't Nick's biggest fan. Like, come on, mom. Well, to be fair, Charlie is still not... He hasn't completed his school homework that's been lingering for, like, months now. So, and Charlie, since... From her point of view, like, since Charlie has met Nick, her perception, because she doesn't know Charlie, really, is that Nick came into his life, Nick's uh, now Charlie's not doing well in school, now Charlie's not listening to her and sneaking out and breaking rules. So, like, she's associating those two things together w- without getting to the underlying cause of, like, what is actually going on with Charlie it really doesn't have anything to do with Nick at all. If anything, Nick helps Charlie feel better. And, like, that's why he's doing all these things. Where his parents, like, are very surface level with with their children and they don't really get to the crux of, like, what is bothering them. Their communication is just terrible in the spring household. With the exception of Tori and Charlie, they're much better at communicating with each other, but everybody else is really bad at it. So, I get where she's coming from, from, like, the limited information she has, but, like, sh- her his parents don't really put a lot of effort into, like, really understanding him. So, here we are. But Charlie is really hopeful that if mom comes to the dinner party and actually spends time with Nick, which she has not done, she's only heard about Nick in passing, then maybe that will change her mind because Nick is a freaking golden retriever. Who wouldn't love Nick after like being in his presence for like three minutes? Like he's the best, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we're very hopeful about this. And then the moment is completely ruined because Charlie's getting more Insta messages from Ben where he's like, hey, I saw you read the message. Like, I need to talk to you. Stop ignoring me. And Tori notices Charlie's shift in mood immediately because Tori is very in tune with Charlie. However, in classic Tori fashion, she doesn't do anything. She just sits there, but she notices that this is going on with Charlie but doesn't act to, like, help or talk to him about it, which is part of their dynamic a little bit. I know I bring this up every single time, but why are we texting on Instagram? I don't Instagram fucking Instagram is for sending reels that remind you of someone else. Right. No, I don't understand why that is where we're texting everybody. And like they have group chats and like like this ParaSquad is a group chat, which like as far as I'm aware is not an Instagram function. So like I don't understand why Instagram is where does we're texting. Instagram does Meta sponsor Heartstopper. Yeah, <laughs> that is a valid question. No, I think there's Insta mentioning in the book, but like, yeah, are they sponsoring this show? Valid question, because it's a lot of Insta and like, it's actually Instagram. It's not like a fake social media site that they're using. So after the Spring spring Sibling stuff happens, that's when Elle posts on Instagram about her Lambert exhibit that's coming up. And that's when the Paris Squad group chat actually blows up. Oh, we actually talked about this already, so we'll skip past it. Everybody's first instinct with texting and all that stuff—we actually just jumped ahead. Are bad. How um, did that even happen? I don't anyway. know because we couldn't remember. <laughs> okay, wait. Also, but there is something from the scene that I want to talk about that I forgot to talk about. So everybody is in this Paris squad, includes Sahar, and we get a picture of Sahar in her room, which her room is also that super room. cool. Can we talk about what a bi queen this woman is? Because, like, look at her. She's got a guitar and, like, the rainbow flag on it. And, like, everything is just bi flag colors in her room. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even notice the rainbow flag. Yeah. She's the freaking best. Her room is awesome. I know. Her room is awesome. And so the rooms are really reflective of their personalities. And so, like, I want more Sahar based on just this image. Like, she just looks so chaotic and fun and I want more of her, that's all I'm saying. I really want more of her. She's she's a really fun character I so know. far. Love it, love it, love it. And unfortunately, we make our way to Dark Darcy's house after that. I mean, we need to, because we need to get into this. So Darcy stares at her house before finally going in, because if I didn't want to go home to... That shit, I would also just stare. Get me out of here. Anyway, there are ominous clouds foreshadowing terrible things are ahead. I, yeah, I love the cloud detail because if you look at it, her house is like in the middle of these other houses that look a- identical. So it's just mm-hmm. like on the surface, it looks like a very ordinary, unassuming house but inside the home, it does not match the exterior. And I think that's a really great metaphor for Darcy at this point, because on the surface and on the outside, she looks like a normal, happy, confident girl, but inside, like she's not okay. So I do love this. I think it very much mirrors her journey and how like easy it is to just like miss when somebody's Going through something because on the surface they look perfectly fine. And like you would never know by looking at this house that, like, how toxic it is inside, you know? Unless you saw the ominous clouds, which <laughs> 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 we can't. <laughs> unless you had some mushrooms that allowed you to see these yeah, clouds. Yeah, unless you're yeah. on drugs and you're like, what's that purple cloud there? That house is weird. Which, I mean, if you're doing that, do you? And call 911 or something. <laughs> call- uh, I, I just picturing this person in an ambulance going to the hospital like there's a purple cloud there's a pink unicorn you would get more drugs <laughs> to make you stop hallucinating so it wouldn't be effective but I'm saying try and be a good Samaritan you know yeah well let's leave the house and the ominous clouds and let's go all the shopping yeah so the Paris squad is really excited for Elle and they want to get Art show and prom outfits, they have a lot going on where they need clothes. So, they go, like, thrifting, basically. And nothing they already have will work. Obviously not. Well, do you have a prom (laughs) outfit just laying around? If you've never been to a prom before? Like, no. So, this is an excuse to get out. And then for the art show. Yeah, this is an excuse to get out and do something. It's classic, classic teenager stuff. So... They're all kind of like going together and immediately Isaac announces that he's going to break off from the group to meet up with James because they left things very weirdly in the last episode with their kiss. So Isaac needs to go talk to James to clear that up. Totally understandable. Nobody else seems to know the context of what's going on with Isaac. I don't think he told anybody because Darcy very excitedly squeals. Oh my God, they're going to kiss. And Isaac is like, that's why i need to go talk to him because and fuck you guys and he sulks away basically so i feel bad for isaac his friends are not very observant in that aspect because they don't understand that people don't want to be with other people because they all need to be coupled up at all times yeah and also i nobody has noticed what is going on with him period and asked him about it and he hasn't, and I don't think he's close enough to any of them when it comes to this topic to talk to him, which is why he seeks out James. But it's sad because, like, they're his close friends and he doesn't feel comfortable enough talking to them about it. And it's very clear in the scene that that's what's going on. He definitely cares about other people more than just himself. So maybe he's just, like, never shared problems with them before. Maybe they're just not used to it which I mean someone needs to realize that he's not okay well also like Isaac you know the bookworm is very much a character that's in his head so you know I I would assume he's trying to work it out himself first before he talks to other people if he's planning on talking to other people so he's also could just not be ready for that and like this reaction from his friends is really not helping him in his current like mindset you know yeah 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 but darcy finds a suit for prom during shopping and tara says she has to try it on because she needs to see darcy in it like let's be real yeah i mean correction tara finds the suit for darcy not the other way around and then she's like you need to try this on (laughs) um Darcy protests a little bit, but Tara talks her into it because Tara likes women in suits, which is relatable. Tara is a woman who knows what she wants, and she's like, "You're my woman, and I want you to wear this. Please wear this right now." <laughs> it also, she's <laughs> like, "It matches my dress, so like it's meant to be. Put this on right now." Also, she's like, like "I could see you in it already." <laughs> yes, and also notab- notably, like I'm currently I'm making my way through all of Alice Alice's books, and i'm reading the heartstopper yearbook which is basically like alice basically published this thing and it's like a evolution of how she evolution of heartstopper from where it started to where it ended and like her drawings along the way and it's really interesting and she has like little character bios and drawings And notably, a character trait of Darcy is that she does hate dresses. So, like, there was no way in hell she was going to wear a dress. She was going to wear a suit anyway. So, this could also just be, like, Tara, like, pumping her up to be like, yeah, no, it's okay, do it. I know you want to do this, do it. But also, Tara's like, do it for me. (laughs) I mean, we also see later why she's, like, a little hesitant to wear a suit as well. Yeah, totally. But it is notably a character trait of Darcy's from the author, so... I love that. And while all that is happening, Charlie is still being bombarded with messages from misery. Yes. Because, ben just won't leave him alone. Well, it's, again, none of this is like, I want to clear the air and this and that. It's just, I have things to say to you. Charlie, let me say them to you. That's basically his messages. It's Ben centering himself at mm-hmm. the expense of Charlie's mental health, who is not responding. So, like, you would take the hit, but Ben is all about Ben. I don't think Ben has ever thought it was necessary or even tried to think of someone else. Yeah, exactly. That is his.
1: And I'm flaw. still I'm,
0: I'm kind of convinced that's because his parents don't really care about him. So I'm like, also convinced that that is his parents dynamic. It's dad. It's dad above everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so I think he's that's what he has learned at home. And he's going to stick to that and not like stray away from it. That is my assumption. And that is a fair assumption. Yep. That's why the patriarchy is toxic and a problem. Freaking patriarchy. Yep. Patriarchal bullshit. That's my favorite, um, saying. Anyway. It's a motto. <laughs> <laughs> Down with the patriarchal bullshit. That is now a sticker. Perfect. Not actually. But, uh, it's we should make that sticker. Yeah, there is. It is. <laughs> Just Google. <laughs> so to get rid of this misery, Nick Nick doesn't know about it, but this is uh we're getting rid of the misery by seeing this. Yes. Nick asks Charlie to prom finally. Oh my god, it's so freaking cute the way he does it. And Charlie is super happy about it. And which is notable because we don't get a lot of super happy Charlie moments in this season. But one of the first things Charlie brings up after the initial happiness is Well, we might draw a lot of attention. So Charlie is just, like, ratting on himself, basically. That he, you know, is worried about the attention that them being out together will bring. Even though, like, he's initially happy that, yay, I get to be out in public at prom with my boyfriend, which is what Charlie does want, but he's like, attention equals bullying, I think. So he's still very much aware that that's a possibility and I think is afraid of it for himself and also for Nick you know but Nick's like it'll be fine let's just do it and Charlie's like okay fine but we are not wearing matching suits we are not twinning as gays absolutely not we are (laughs) not those gays we are not those gays and Nick's like yeah obviously and like okay I have as a gay I have to say that like my wife does not care about that and so like she will wear clothes where we look similar and then i will go change because i'm like is that what you're wearing we're not doing this so i will go change my clothes so we are not twinning because it's weird (laughs) is it weird yes because then you get the are you guys siblings which is you're gonna get that anyway no well it's more likely you'll get it if you look similar so I'm like we're not wearing the same color we're not wearing the same clothes let's change (laughs) so we look different we gotta draw the line somewhere caitlin so i understand where charlie is coming from in this scene that's funny i can see that happening now it happens all the time uh so while that is happening Elle is trying to find a dress for the art exhibit, and while Darcy is trying on the suit, Tara finds out that Elle did get into the school. Yep. So uh, she gets Elle to admit that she hasn't told anyone because she doesn't know how Tao will take the news, which is which is fair because you know he's been pretty unpredictable. I feel like this season, like she's been like, where the hell did you go? And he's just he's in love. He is. And also, like, we as the audience saw his first reaction. His first reaction to just her being in the exhibit is, are you leaving? So Mm -hmm. it's very much on both of their minds when it comes to this school. So she's not wrong. I love the dress she picks out because to me it's super foreshadowing. Because if you look at it, the dress she picks out has butterflies on it. Of course it does. Yes, because butterflies is Tao and L S love cartoon, I guess, in Heartstopper. Um and so to me the wardrobe is very indicative of like her state of mind because she's again stuck between choosing art college and potentially staying at Higgs to stay closer to Tao. And Which I- don't stay anywhere for anybody. Yes. But I love the thing that she says to Dart to Tara when they're talking about the dress because Tara's like, "Oh my God, you look amazing." Which yes, but Elle's like, "I like this dress, but I don't think this is the one." So I think by saying that in that dress, Elle is admitting that she's going to pick art school over Tao. So I think this is a very foreshadowing scene. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you're really good with the butterflies. I like symbolism and foreshadowing and things like that and picking it out. So, cause like, if you think about it, like these, the clothing, the sets, the colors, it's all very deliberate. There are people who are paid to literally just think about these things in the context of the show and they have the full script. So Mm -hmm. I think this is very intentional about Elle's headspace, what she's going to choose when she's being honest, because she's being honest about the dress. Like, it's just how I feel about it, but I think it's a, it has a deeper meaning, like I said. So, after that, because m- remember, as Caitlin pointed out, Darcy has been getting her suit on this whole time. So, she exits the dressing room after this conversation. And Tara is impressed with a capital I. And, like, according <laughs> to sapphic law, when your girlfriend approves of an outfit, you are legally obligated to buy it darcy those are the rules girl they do not read the sappho bible because you have to buy the suit now it's just does that look exist her exist in real life <laughs> tara's face jaw on the floor she is so excited she's like yes wear that every single day <laughs> i, I can't just I see them it. hanging out like watching movies and pajamas and then darcy just puts on the suit like, randomly blazer on. <laughs> but like i'm gonna hydrate for lesbian jesus because okay Tar got a bad but no matter how much she wants to buy it darcy doesn't have enough money for the suit yeah and this is i love that Which everybody's like you need this suit so everyone guitar's face money <laughs> to help her buy it everyone else has read the bible according to Sappho, so they get it they're like oh, well by legally you have to buy this dress so we will <laughs> help you so you don't go to queer jail <laughs> Yeah, it looks like they're trying to buy her out of, like, a ticket or something. <laughs> it's super cute, though. But, like, okay, the look on Darcy's face when they... Because, like, immediately she's like, oh, fuck. Because she can't be like, hey, mom, I want to buy this suit. Mm-hmm. For obvious reasons. One, I don't think her mom's going to give her money for a prom outfit, no matter what it is. And two, like, this... What we see later. Mom would never give her money for this because she burned the Sappho Bible. <laughs> she's like, fuck this blasphemy. So... That was never going to happen. So Dar- Tar- Darcy, I think, is like, fuck, I'm going to be let down. I want the suit for me, but also I'm letting down Tara. And like, this is about Tara and this, this kind of stuff. So to have her friends immediately jump in and fulfill the role that a parent should, I think, is overwhelming. She just looks overwhelmed when they start like handing money and pulling it together. And I feel like this type of ha- this type of support and kindness is really rare in Darcy's life, which is upsetting to me. It's just sad. But it's good that she has, again, a found family mm-hmm. that is going to support her versus her blood relatives that do not. I like that she's getting to experience it. Exactly. And just like, the look on her face is just so, like, I can't believe this is happening. And she's so overwhelmed. Like, she's just like, wow. She's a puppy. She's a very hyperactive puppy. She's a hyperactive And puppy. you can't a... kick the puppy. I don't want people stop kicking the puppy, Mom. No. She's a little starving puppy. Like feed her. Um, but speaking of sad puppies, we go over to Isaac, who's visiting James at the bookstore. And the first shot of Isaac is just him sitting. Like the first of all, this bookstore is really cool looking. I wish I could go here. It's cute and adorable. And Isaac is sitting in like kind of in the middle of the store or towards the front on this little couch by himself or a love seat. Sorry. And in the first shot, as Isaac by himself really lost in thought and like rubbing his hands together um and I imagine like Isaac's been thinking about how to have this conversation with James since the kiss happened because like I mentioned earlier Isaac is just a very internal character he's very quiet he speaks very rarely but when he says it when he talks it's very poignant and like to the point and stuff so I think that he's just been internalizing this the whole time and still is not doesn't feel super comfortable about having this conversation because it's hard for him and before they get into the big talk, when James finally comes over, it's very cute. They have, like, a cute bonding moment before they get to, like, the the heavy stuff. And they bond over this customer that James was busy with who's buying a bunch of Penguin classics. And Isaac is just like, oh, my God, life goals. And I love that they have this cute little lighthearted moment together. To me, it demonstrates that their friendship was deeper than the crush because they they have this, like, uh you know very important hobby in common the two of them that they can talk about that Isaac does not have with his with the Paris squad so to me um it gives me hope that they're going to remain really good friends after the crush thing kind of fades so i do like that this little moment is in here with them i think this is my favorite moment between them oh my gosh yes it's so cute it's so cute and beautiful and we don't get a lot of james but this scene really like speaks to how good of a friend he is and how good of a person he is so i do love i love this scene and it's in like there's like a safe space for isaac right like the bookstore that's his like happy place you know so it's a beautiful i love the scene period then after they make this the little small talk that is uh you know their whole world uh, James says that he guesses that Isaac doesn't like him the way that he does. Which is unfortunately true for James. Yes. and Because Isaac explains that he doesn't understand how he feels. Yeah. I love the full line that he says. He says, I don't understand how I'm supposed to feel when I have a crush on someone. You know, I read all these books about people who fall in love. And I still have absolutely no idea. Like I, I feel like that's really relatable. Yeah, like, I love that line. Because it highlights, like, how romance and, like, sex really is just, in the modern times, is just really a plot po- plot, a focused plot, sorry, words, in so much of media. So, like, if you are Arrow Ace, like... It's not relatable, really, where you're like, I don't, I don't feel that... I would imagine it's not relatable and probably really confusing because you're like, I keep reading this and uh, the message is always like, find love, find true love, but it's like, this doesn't fit how I feel, so I don't, under- I don't understand this. Yeah, it must be more confusing for Isaac, I would think. Yeah, definitely more confusing, but like, even... Like, every like piece of media makes like knowing how you feel seem easy dating kissing everything is like everyone knows how to do these things totally but and then when you if you have trouble with any of it you're like what is wrong with me yeah exactly and i like that that's depicted a little bit with like the tau l relationship when they remember their first kiss and they're just like i don't know what i'm doing i love that that's in here because it's that's more realistic than just being like yes i'm in Tao not knowing how to date yeah their first date not knowing what to do like that's more real relatable than like what you would read in most books which is just like i know how to do this you know, I'm I'm a player like I'm really good at all this. I've never been on a date. but Yeah, it's like you're 14. Like, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these teenagers are really advanced, especially if you watch the propaganda that is American TV shows about teenagers where they're all millionaires and yeah, like sex fiends. And it's like you're 15. Like, what is this that I? What am I watching? This is ridiculous. I hate it so much. Yeah. It's... You know what the most relatable, like, teenage high school show is? Where it's like, yes, these are fucking dumbass teenagers. It's the Dairy Girls. That's exactly what teenagers are like. Like, go watch the Dairy Girls. Okay, first of all, there's queerness in it. And second of all, it's hilarious. Very little. Very little queerness. Oh, it's there. It's there. It's there. But uh, yeah, like that—that is—that is what teenagers are, not whatever like Riverdale or whatever the fucking U.S. equivalent is. It's just—I forget oh, what the so who the character's name is. That is queer. Claire. Is Claire? I love Claire. Poor Claire. Yes. <laughs> she gets Spoiler. Going. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I love all of them. They're adorable. But yeah, that's what teenagers are really like, and I think that this show has a good. ...is more realistic about what teenagers are actually like. Anywho. Also, teenagers are never played by teenagers. That's- I find that extremely fucking annoying. They're always played by I mean, out. I understand from, like, legal and school and all that. Like, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff to explain with that, but... I get that, too, but I also hate it. <laughs> but, like, get as young as possible. <laughs> Ugh, yes. Anyway... Isaac uh, feels like something is wrong with him because he didn't feel anything when he and James kissed. Because in the books, there's supposed to be freaking fireworks. Right. And James follows this with, there's nothing wrong with you. You probably just haven't found the right person yet. And I feel like James is saying this because, you know, that's the sexual propaganda, like where romance is above all kind of thing. And so to me, it feels like he said this in a supportive way, and it applies to most people. But in this case, it's dismissive of asexuality, and it's probably way more confusing to Isaac than it is helpful for him to hear this. Where it's just like, there's nothing wrong with you, but like, try again. And Isaac is like, I keep trying, and I don't, it doesn't seem like this is something, the math isn't mathing here. Basically, I think the biggest cause of this is that there's no representation, which is why Heartstopper is so important. Because, like, obviously, we're there's not a lot of non-binary representation, asexuality representation. So this is not how we think. And we need to see more of it. So good job, Heartstopper. To be fair, Heartstopper was created by an asexual author. So, like... Yeah, Alice is asexual. So, like, that's why I think... Well, okay. So, it actually is pretty funny um, with Alice because when she first published Solitaire, which is the first book in the, that generated Heartstopper because it's Tori's story, she was 14. So, first of all, she's a genius. Yeah, she's 14. <laughs> um, what? Yeah, she's ridiculous. Um, first of all, there's that. That was her first novel. And... So, and it got published at 14. Yeah. Yeah. Oh like she's ridiculous. She's ridiculous. Um yeah, she's like really young. She's in her like early 20s right now with what the hell? Yeah, she's like a literal genius. So, she published her the Solitaire super young. And when she wrote it, like she she published it in the UK and then it got really big and then she like republished it in the US and at that point I think she made changes a little bit to some of the characters like one of the characters she's like oh I define them as pansexual later on um because she says I didn't have the language to really understand how to describe this character and I didn't have the exposure basically to other types of sexuality and so like in hindsight when she was looking at that book she's like it's so obvious to me that like this character was coded pansexual and this other character was coded asexual and I'm like I should have seeing the writing on the wall because I didn't know what I was at the time I was writing this, but like, I was clearly writing how I felt, you know? And I was going to bring this up later, but I'll just kind of bring it up now for when in Isaac's like coming out moment later, my first read on, on Isaac coming out. And even in this moment is that he doesn't have the language to describe how he feels. Um, like he doesn't have the language for asexuality, so he doesn't understand it to put the label on, cause like labels can be problematic, but I feel like language can be powerful for some people. So if you can have a word or words to describe how you feel, that is very empowering. And so for Isaac, he's like, I have these feelings or lack of feelings and I don't know if something's wrong with me or there's some way to describe me. So I think to me, that's my first read, that's what's going on with him. But if you think about with Isaac, whom Alice wrote into this book or into the show based on a different character, but a lot of it wasn't really focused on, on the, on all the other character. She's doing a lot more about focusing on the asexuality journey with Isaac. So this is after Alice has kind of figured out who she is after she has a better, um, insight into that. Um, and I think Isaac is more of a stand in character for her, um, compared to the ones she's written in the past. I should know this. Does she write on the show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She she was very heavy in writing. Like, she has written it in interviews. She's like, I'm writing Heartstopper. Like, she's heavy-handed in the show. Okay. Um. So, yeah, this Makes is... A- Everything with Isaac is very deliberate from an asexual person who has gone through that experience. And what I find sad about Isaac, and I think this is a link to Alice if you think about Isaac not having the language for asexuality, that is really sad because he is an avid reader of queer books, okay? So if you have somebody who's constantly consuming queer media and doesn't know what asexuality is, that really speaks to the bigger problem of their not being good or enough representation for this type of sexuality because isaac has never come across it and he reads like thousands of books you know but i swear we see him reading a book about being ace was it or was it the bisexual book i swear it was the ace i will have to go back and look but like, i swear like because i saw the cover again during the when they were doing the book display and i'm like that's the book that he was reading so like, i swear he read it before I find that so weird, because, like, that's how his journey reads. But, I mean, is it... How many ace characters can you think of in queer media? I think we got, like, three on our th- on our thing that we were doing. Yeah, we were trying to do an episode about ace rep, but it kind of fell through. Well, that's not even the one I was talking about. Yeah. No. That's, yeah. We're, we're still working on it. If anybody's got ideas, feel free to put them in the chat. Yeah. If you we're and trying. if you uh can represent them as well, let us know. Yeah, because we were gonna talk to Bree's sister who is ace, and that did not work out, so we'll keep trying. But Yes. Because it's important. It is important. Um but yeah, basically not many, um, which is the unfortunate thing. But I love that Alice is like, fuck that, because in this scene, if you look behind uh Isaac and James, there is a book on display. That's got, like, a purple-pinkish cover. And I'm pretty sure the book is Loveless by Alice. Which, again, kudos, girl. Plug for your own book. But it's really appropriate for the scene because it's basically the book about an asexual or, like, aromantic relationship. So it's, like, perfect In, in a conversation where it's almost like, I don't know what I am... I don't understand me. And there's this book to be like, hey, this representation exists because I'm trying to put it out there. Like, love it. I haven't have read, you read this, this one. Oh, no. you have. You, cool. You just answered my question. No, as I, I haven't. I haven't read that. And I haven't read Radio Silence. Um, ooh, for our friend on YouTube who pointed out well, first of all, thank you for all of the comments you keep leaving us. Uh, They make our day, and I'm glad. We have that- a few people, like, doing in-depth comments Yes, for us, oh my god. It's really nice. It's so nice, because I love hearing everybody's thoughts. And plus, you guys actually have experience with, like, the UK schooling system, so thank you. We're trying. We're try- trying so hard. You want a slap in the face? So- brie our other co-host which if you've only watched Heartstopper, you've never seen brie because brie's not into heart so she's not here brie was like oh i i understand this uk schooling system and we're like girl where the fuck were you in the episodes <laughs> so you could explain this shit to us if you understand this so Bri left. we us need hanging. to just interview her about the school jesus christ so that was fun to <laughs> learn in high set after we there's a cool reason there's ourselves. three of us for this stuff <laughs> anyway yeah usually there's three of us but not for this um but i did read uh this winter. It's adorable. It's it's fucking adorable. Like uh it's basically like like you pointed out it uh it's really good for highlighting the sibling relationships and there's POVs from all the spring siblings. So it's adorable. All? Yeah, in the book they have a younger brother oh that's right that's right yeah so oh yeah 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 i started solitaire so yeah so it's really it's really really cute and if you guys are interested caitlin and i were toying with the idea of like during the hiatus covering more of alice's books until we get until season three comes about because they're honestly so good she is a freaking genius so if you're interested in that let us know Theor has been getting to them very quick they're easy to read they're like 200 pages like they're super easy books to read and i love them she's a really good great great writer and everything is super queer so it's really really fun but yeah, yeah, yeah. loveless i will add to this list and the other one is radio silence which is the one i think about all who's like the isaac character in the book okay. but i haven't gotten there i just don't have time anywho that's that's now that we went off on that rant. Uh it was all important. It was. I was I gonna talk about it in everything another Everything we say is important, though. I know. Are. I was gonna talk every about it every single that word. Later, but here all the words. Beelzebub. <laughs> oh shit. You don't have a spelling have to... challenge, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I forgot about it. Thank you. Okay, so that's something else for me to think about while we finish this. Stay tuned. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, uh Isaac finishes up his conversation and heads back to the gang. And of course, it's he, I feel like at this point Isaac's dreading going back to them. Because yeah. the gang is bombarding Isaac with questions. Uh and James Isaac is frustrated. I cannot keep characters' names straight in no. notes, apparently. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. Anyway, Isaac is so frustrated that he just yells at them to shut up and leave him alone. And you know what? Good for him for standing up for himself. Yeah, no, for real. But also it's like sad that we just watched a scene where he received a bunch of support for from James and like is not receiving that kind of same support from his friend group because like he shows up and he's clearly like not happy. Like he's just kind of like down a little bit. I don't know. To me, this scene kind of like it, again reinforces that like he can't really confide in them when it comes to this because they just don't understand. Also, like I know that James is into Isaac, but even before that, like when they were just friends, friends, he's always been the only one who's seen him. Yeah, totally. And it just it it really makes me sad that the others aren't noticed. Like they're too wrapped up in themselves. Yes, they're wrapped up in their own couple drama that they exclude him. And I think that's part of his frust- frustration here. Because he's just like, I understand, like, part of his, what he says here, too, is like, just because I don't have couple, I don't need couple drama to make me interesting to you guys. Like, I know that's what you guys care about. It's basically what the crux of what he says. And he just storms away. He's like, fuck this shit. You know what? I, I wouldn't understand most things, but I would talk to you all day about books. For real. Awesome. I want to talk be to definitely I would. I love to talk to Isaac about books. Like, dream. I want to be James so I can be friends with Isaac. I get that. Uh, side note, though, in this scene. So it's, like, raining and everybody has umbrellas. Darcy and Tara, for some reason, have the, a pansexual umbrella, which I find really funny. Not funny, but, like, like hey, <laughs> we're not talking about pansexuality, because that character doesn't show up in these, <laughs> this this show, but... Woo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe you, maybe which in the character's last characters pen. Do you know? Do I? It's it, not in the show, so I wouldn't know. It's only in Solitaire. Like if if so, if I finish reading the book, I'll know. Yeah, you'll know. Well, if you start the book, it's like towards the beginning. Um, yeah, I probably know, and I just don't remember. It's like an off-handed line, but it's one of Tori's friends. Um, so I don't know how much of Tori they're really going to include in Heartstopper because Alice has basically said like Tori's story is done. She's more like a side. Comic relief. Ugh. At least tell us it's time. Diet Lemonade. <laughs> uh-huh. At least mention that it's Diet Lemonade. I know, it's never mentioned. But, yeah, Tori's more, she said in the show, in Heartstopper in particular, she's more like a side character in there for, like, supporting Charlie, not her own thing, so I don't know. I just want more, uh, like, shots of her. I love it. <laughs> like, just randomly in the background. Just, like, hide her, like, where's Waldo in the background of things. <laughs> yep. There's there's one coming up in, soon, so... I love the Tory spottings. they're hilarious. So from here, yep, we go to the art exhibition. Yeah, so after that, it's like finally art art exhibition time, and it's called Here and Queer. And I love the gang's mutual looks of wonder when they walk in. It's almost like entering this magical place filled with color and life. And it's it's almost like a safe space for all of them. It's like, oh, surrounded by people just like me. And everybody's just like so happy when they walk in this room, which it's, I get. It's like coming out for the first time. Like it's like, re- under, like accepting yourself and just the whole world is just, I mean, if you uh don't, Pay attention to the the you know those people uh the whole world is amazing <laughs> so i think there's something interesting i think it's interesting you said coming out so there's this other way to frame it that i've heard instead of like coming out it's more like coming in like coming into your queerness versus oh, like yeah that's interesting projecting outward and that feels more like this scene you're coming in and just like i can exist in the safe space just as me i don't have to like. Be like yes I'm bisexual actually like yes I'm bisexual actually like it's not that like explaining it to straight people thing it's just like I can just be me here and like I don't have to explain anything everybody just kind of gets it and I can just relax so it's more like coming in versus coming out and just it's just it's a magical cute little moment of just like <gasps> home you know But isn't this the place where Imogen finds out that Sahar is bi Yeah, we'll get get there. We'll get there. (laughs) No, I was just saying because you're like, I don't have to. You, you don't have to say it. But then I just thought it was ironic. Imogen is think she's Imogen is an ally, right? Um. Um, Anyway, so like, yeah, the gang walks into their safe space, which is the here and queer exhibit, which is exactly what Elle has named her piece. So I think those two things go together. Oh, yeah. Also, okay. okay Anyway, so right away, someone lets it slip that L will be going there in September. Isn't that like the principal? Like- it's somebody who already goes to Lambart. It's just like we're so excited you're here to exhibit your artwork, and we can't wait to see what you're going to produce in September. So like. Somebody who knew that they were extended, she would tell them before she brought them somewhere that she was going to go to. I mean, to be fair, I don't think she was expecting anyone to say, "Oh, Mm -hmm. can't wait to see you in the fall." But it is a possibility, right? Totally. Yes. So yeah, but like, bottom line, by told people she should have told Tao because he looks completely shell shocked when he finds out that that is indeed what's happening. You don't want someone like that you're with to find out that you're leaving them no he looks so... even if it's not like literally he's so sad he's a sad little puppy here and like the sh- immediate shot after that is Elle's face and it's like clear that she fucked up she's like oh I done fucked up but before she can like console a very clearly distraught Tao, naomi and felix swoop in and they're just like yeah girl congrats can't wait to go to school together and stuff so Yeah, that is left unresolved. I can't wait to see more of the three of them. Agreed. Hopefully we do. I would like to know more about Felix, because I feel like we don't know a goddamn thing about Felix. (laughs) So, season three, please. So, before any of that can get resolved, we we follow Isaac. So, everybody kind of, like, splits up, and Isaac wanders off on his own. In true Isaac fashion, because that's what he does. And he is immediately drawn to one of the art installations... And it's basically like this, like, hanging, um, installation with a bunch of, like, cards with, like, hearts on them. And they're upside down and all this kind of stuff. And it's like love flipped on its head is basically what it looks like to me. And he's immediately drawn to this. And the beautiful thing is that Isaac doesn't know why. He just knows that he loves it. And to me, that's a callback to what Nick said to Elle in the last episode when they are in the Louvre. And, um... And when he said, you don't have to, under-, like, when they're looking at the art, and he's like, well, you don't have to understand your feelings completely to know that you like something. And to me, that's exactly what's happening with Isaac. He knows that he likes this art, but he doesn't understand. And he's having feelings towards it, but he doesn't understand why. And that's exactly what's happening. The is so smart. That's a really good note, like, mm. Parallels. Yeah, we'll go with that word, because I couldn't figure out what word I was trying to say. Parallels. (laughs) You quoting something? No, I'm just saying parallels. (laughs) So after a beat of Isaac just kind of standing there, the artist himself, or artist themselves, I actually don't know their pronouns, uh, moseys on up to Isaac and explains what the installation is all about. And it's about their experience being aromantic and asexual. And I adore the artist's interpretation of their work, and so I'm going to quote what they said. Being in a world where romance and sex are prized above everything else, but you don't feel those forms of attraction. Growing up feeling something about you is different, but not having the words to describe what it is. So I kind of talked about this earlier, but basically sentiments like this, for me, I think is why labels are valid for some people and like language is just so important cuz like having the word words are powerful. So if you can have a word to describe your feelings, it does help you un- process, understand them. And kind of like come to a form of acceptance if that fits you because to me Isaac's journey reads like somebody who like has these feelings but doesn't understand what they mean and then when he gets the language for what they mean, everything kind of makes sense. And so and we see this with Isaac, he just looks, once uh, the artist is kind of explaining this to him, he's like, oh, asexuality, aromantic, that's what I'm feeling, that's like, it's like a eureka moment, and he just looks so relieved, and we get like the leaves floating, which Caitlin has pointed out means like, they're being their authentic selves, that they're freed by something, and just being themselves, and like, to me, once Isaac has the language, he is free, you know. That's why we have so many labels. Yeah, exactly. Now stop getting pissed off because you found yours. And, but some people are just like, well, labels can be confining and, like, problematic. And, yeah, like, I think that's valid, too. But to some people, having language is very powerful for them. And that's liberating. So I, I see both both sides of that. But for Isaac's particular, I think having language is empowering for him. Yes. And uh, shout out to the creators in this scene, because in this in this entire exhibit, it's just it's very colorful. And there's like light installations playing with color the whole time. And I like that as the artist is explaining this and like Isaac is having the epiphany, like the arrow ace colors start like playing on him as the scene is happening. So poetic cinema. And I love it. Thank you, creators. They love colors in the show. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They do, which we love colors too. But um, once again, as I explained earlier, the sad part of this all is that like Isaac didn't understand Arrow Ace, but yet he reads all these queer books, which highlights the problem of we don't have enough representation for this type of sexuality. So more of that, please. Okay. So Isaac Realizes has his epiphany, and we then cut to Darcy with who got a text from mum saying, "I didn't give you petition petition. I didn't petition you. To... <laughs> I didn't give you permission to go get home." And now is in all caps. Yikes! I wouldn't want to go home to that either. Well, no. So Darcy's mom is pissed off because she didn't give her per. But she didn't petition her to go to the exhibit. <laughs> she didn't. She has FOMO because she didn't get an invite. That's really bad. Uh, Darcy says she probably should go home because she doesn't want her mom to be even more mad at her. Yeah, and Darcy like huffs to Tara. Tara's like, really? You gotta go? And Darcy basically just says, literally nothing I ever do is good enough. And to me, that line right there speaks volumes about her home life. To where she's like, I can't win. You know, which is sad. It's it's really rough to live like that. Yeah. Because then you just feel like... Nothing. What's the point? Yeah. Like, I oh. really shouldn't be there. Totally. It's very clearly bad for Darcy's mental health and well-being. I, I need to get Darcy out of that house for my sanity. Yeah. <laughs> We'll petition to save Darcy. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Big game petitions. Yeah, big game petitions. (laughs) Okay, so we go from Darcy basically getting anxiety because of this text. And leaving. She leaves. Yes, yes, she's, she's gone. No. She needs to stay there and be herself. I know. Be here and queer. But again, that's the struggle Darcy's facing, is being queer and then being... In the closet at home, basically. So, fortunately, it makes sense. So after that happens, Imogen and Sahar have a really weird conversation about how Sahar is there because, like, Imogen's like, "Why are you here?" For, like, she's not allowed to be friends with her friends. Um, and Sahar's like, "I'm Mel's friend too." And then, so Imogen makes this comment that she isn't the token ally anymore and sarah's so like appalled at this and is like what i'm bisexual <laughs> i love this imogen I will figure it out soon i mean all imogen has to do in this scene is look over her shoulder at the art that's literally behind them because it's just two female presenting people that look like they're about to kiss so I love the placement of that between Imogen and Sahar. Oh, foreshadowing. Right. I hope. Also, Imogen, just look to the right, girl. Like, just, just look. Just look and explain. You your know feelings. what? Look in front of you. That's that's she, what you need. To she do. is, look. but it's still not clicking. Like, get inspired, like Isaac was. And then the artist needs to come by and be like, so lesbianism, and then maybe <laughs> she'll be like, oh. <laughs> Okay, but yeah, I, I love that after they have that conversation, Sahara's like, "How dare you call me an ally? I'm in the mafia. I'll be you know the Alphabet mafia." And she walks away, and Imogen is like, "What?" and like chases after Sahara. And I want their off-screen conversation that they're having about this because Imogen looks really pressed and about the fact that Sahara is like mad at her. And I want to know what's going on here. And as they walk away, we get a shot of Tara being like, "Interesting." After watching that whole conversation, Wait, does she say it or yes? Is it, is it just she her says face? it? She's like, "Interesting." Oh, damn! I missed that. So I think that Tara's gaydar is setting her a five-alarm fire at this point, and she's like, five "That five was alarm. really gay. <laughs> just what just happened here? <laughs> interesting." And yeah, Tara, maybe you should like push their heads together so they can figure it out. Be the ship captain. Be the ship captain. Um, I have no power in this. Oh, shit. And I forgot Darcy also witnessed this. And I think Darcy's face is kind of like Tara, So she's like, that was pretty gay. So after that, uh, Darcy bounces. So that uh, mummy dearest is not angry at her anymore because she didn't petition this. And so Tara, as, before she leaves, Tara's like, hey, hey, promise tomorrow. Don't forget. Pop point. And Darcy expresses that she's looking forward to it. She's not going to forget about prom. She's ready. And they have a really cute moment where they basically, like, talking about their outfits and they're going to slow dance. And so the fact that queer women are talking about something happy means that something tragic is going to happen. So I got anxiety at this moment because of, like, what, you know, queer media has done to me. (laughs) This is way too cute. Something bad's going to happen. Uh, the lesbian's cut not be happy no obviously not um so basically after hearing all the cuteness i was as sad as tara looked after darcy left like she just looks so sad <sighs> but she does but after my ptsd subsided and my brain started working i realized that they have to be dancing to a taylor swift song and now I have hope to keep watch, Because folklore was in the room and they're talking about dancing. So it has to be to a Taylor Swift song. So I I was calling it in my brain at that moment. I'm just saying. I just need everyone, if you haven't seen our reaction videos... Oh, wait. This is only on Patreon. So remember to our Patreon. For five bucks a month. And watch them. Because the Auras the whole time is just trying to figure out what Taylor Swift is going to be calling. I mean... Can you blame me? I knew there was a Taylor Swift song, and it was with them, because of course it is, Taylor. So I was waiting for it. So anyway, um, also they kiss before they leave, and they are illuminated with the colors of the lesbian flag as they do that. So once again, shout out to the, you know, onset people for making this as queer as humanly possible. I love it. So after the lesbians are done lesbianing, We transition to a scene where one of the art college professors slash event coordinators, I don't know who any of these people at Lambert actually are, but somebody representing the art college is making a speech about all the great student artists and introduces Elle as this prodigy that will be starting next year. And then we get the big unveiling of Safe Space, Elle's work. So Elle makes a speech, uh, how her artwork is of what has always made her feel safe and it's a painting of her with the boys in the art room because it was the safe space for all of them and i think my interpretation on this is that because l came out as trans when they were at truam which that's the arts room in truam so i think that that means for L that like her safe space during that time period was being in the art room art is like her version of a bookstore for Isaac with her best friends so I think that during that difficult time that was her safe space slash and her found family which are her friends and art which is her like creative outlet during that difficult time because if you think about the exhibit it's about it's celebrating you know queer trans artists and i think that was on her mind and that potentially is what this means we also get like scenes of like her friends like taking all of this in while she's kind of like unveiling the work and there's a pic there's a scene of Tao, and in the background behind Tao there is a light installation with butterflies so that means some Tau and L stuff is about to go down. So that's what that Someone, means. Someone uh, count how many butterflies there are in this whole show. I'm sure somebody has that somewhere on like Tumblr or something. <laughs> I need a leaf. leaves versus butterfly comparison. Oh, it's definitely more leaves.
1: Yeah, leaves but I want to know the characters. ratio.
0: Yeah, okay. Okay. So Tow and her. And L. Thank you. I just thought that- I, I write these sentences very weirdly, apparently. You really do. I try to fix them for you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. Alright, <clears throat> I am not the writer. That's okay. Tao and L talk about Elle getting into the school. And Tao tells her not to base her decisions on him. Like, a good guy should. And he just wants her to be happy. Because she deserves to be happy. And he can clearly see how happy art makes her. Like, he loves watching her do art. Like, he, he knows how much this means to her. And he follows this up by saying, wherever you are, I'll still want to be with you. So he's basically being like, we're not going to break up because of this. So, like, do what makes you happy. Which I appreciate. And it's kind of a call back to something they go through during one of the books I think it's called Nick and Charlie is the name of the book it's not a graphic novel it's actually a book where it's like later after Elle's already gone to Lambert so I wonder if that's hinting to that and what happens with Tao and Elle but regardless at this point Elle is still pretending to be conflicted and like oh I might go to Higgs and it's like girl we all know you're going to art school (laughs) like including Tao like he, he knows like so uh, yeah he always, he, knew. He always knew. If, he's like if she gets in she's going right like she has to go right because he he is her number one fan when it comes to art like he is her he is her biggest fan of her work i don't think he would let her not go well i mean i think he respects her de- like making her own decisions but you know he knows that she deserves to be here cuz she's a freaking talented artist and she deserves the shine. He's just, you know, he's got feelings about going, you know, missing her and losing her and that's totally understandable. Can't blame him for that, you know. So, I love that scene. But then we get to like actually probably one of my favorite scenes in this 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 next scene I have titled, "Oh, look, here comes misery." Yeah. And Yeah, this is when Ben traps Charlie and forces him to hear him out. Because nothing says a good conversation like forcing someone to listen to you. I mean, he's basically been trying to force Charlie into this. If you just read those Instagram messages. And the first thing he says when Nick and Charlie come out of the exhibit is, I need to talk to you. Not we need to talk. It's I need to talk to you, Charlie. And Nick, to his credit, is having none of this. Nick immediately transitions into protective boyfriend mode and he tries to take Charlie's away. He's like, fuck this shit. Charlie, you have nothing to say to Charlie. You fucking assaulted him. Get out of here. But then Ben says, I want to apologize. And that changes everything because that's more of a like a mutual conversation versus like I need to like get dump my feelings onto you, which is really what this conversation is. Mm hmm. Sorry. All right. So, Ben mentions to them that he won't be coming back to Terum next year. So, it's the last time they will see him at least. So, that's a positive. And Ben tells him that he really likes him, but that he is so messed up that Ben is messed up. And his parents would never accept him if he was out. Yeah, and that's really... That's really the heart of all the stuff with Ben. Uh, He says to them, the exact line he says is, I want to be like the two of you, but my parents will never accept who I really am. So Ben is like a conflicted character between like what he feels and what he's been indoctrinated to project. And that's why I think like this all really, really ties back to like his home life. And we got it, we did get a glimpse of Ben's dad and whoever the mom is, whether it's bio mom, step mom, I don't know, at the parent's day thing. And just like Ben's dad gives me like alpha male sleaze ball vibes. And so I think that Ben has been raised in an environment where like he's expected to also be that. And so, and he's not on the inside. And so like, it is really shitty. Like Ben's situation is really shitty, but how he handles it is also shitty. (laughs) Uh, the one thing that I really, really, really hate about this scene is that it makes me feel a very, very tiny little bit for Ben. But luckily, it doesn't make Charlie feel anything. No. Because well, Charlie makes- tells... <laughs> it makes Charlie feel uh, some confidence, I think. Yeah. It's like, you know what? This is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Charlie tells him that he never cared how... He- how... uh <sighs> Sorry. Pronouns. Charlie tells Ben that Ben never cared how Charlie felt and that he, Ben always forced himself on Charlie. Which is absolutely true. Yes but and also terrible. Yes. Now that he is with Nick he can finally see like what a healthy relationship is. Yeah. And that involves more communication you know on both parts and like talking to each other not at each other. Yeah, exactly. Well, at one person and not letting the other person talk at all. Or trying to, like, manipulate the other person into doing what you want. Because, like, Ben would always manipulate Charlie into, like, again, hooking up with him when it was convenient for Ben. You know, versus, like, Nick and Charlie hang out with each other because they want to. So, yeah, very, very different. And what Charlie says is to Ben in this context is so fucking sad, but I think this is really all the mental health stuff Charlie is going through and how he really feels. So I think it's good that Nick hears this, but Charlie says, I went along with it because I had a crush and I didn't know any better. This, I felt like this must be what I deserve. Someone taking what he wants from me when he wants it. Now, when anything good happens to me, there's a little voice in the back of my mind telling me I'm worthless and I don't deserve it. Like this confession is explains the PTSD Charlie has from this relationship and like the bullying and uh, why Ben is such a big trigger. I think that Charlie, the little voice starts talking in the back of Charlie's head anytime he sees Ben, and that's why he like shrinks in on himself, being like, You're worthless. You don't deserve Nick. Like, you don't deserve to be happy. And Maybe that's why he tries so hard to make everything perfect with Nick or appear perfect because he's really afraid of, like, losing Nick or Nick realizing, like, oh, Charlie's not worth it or he's an annoyance. And it's just, it's really sad and it kind of shows you, like, how you can just get trapped in these, like, bad thought cycles when you've been, like, beaten down enough by someone or, you know, something, you know? Yeah, I'm really glad that Nick was there to see all this too, because he can see that Charlie is, I mean, there is a lot going on with Charlie, but at least this, he's learning to stand up for himself, and I don't think Charlie would have, like, told him everything that happened, because I don't think he knows how to really communicate it, so he's getting, Nick is getting to see what's inside Charlie's head without Charlie having to actually tell him. Correct. Correct. And, uh, I mean, Charlie basically tells Ben good riddance. And, yes, go you. Yeah, exactly. I, I, what His line is so good, where he's like, I really hope you do become a better person so you don't hurt anyone else. But I don't want to be there to see that happen. So, yeah, this this moment of Charlie standing up to Ben is so, so huge. And I hope that by getting this kind of closure... Of basically, because Charlie's a good person, he's like, "Yeah, go you for wanting to improve yourself." But like, you don't get to use me in that process. Basically, like, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. You go on your own. And I hope also, that- yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, in this in media, a lot of times uh, the victims become like friends with the people who abuse them, and like help them become better people. And so like now they're then a nice character so when charlie is saying like i don't want to be there to have to see it happen because like i'm not helping you through this i don't care i don't want to i hope you become a better person but i don't want to be a part of it It, i feel like that's just giving people permission to let go of the negative people in their life where a lot of times i feel like the media is just saying keep everybody in your life you can't let anybody go oh i think that goes back to at least in america Christian traditional values not to yeah not calling out Christians I'm just saying a part of that religion and the culture of that religion that has been baked into the country we live in is that women in particular are vessels of forgiveness and like you're supposed to forgive people even when they abuse you. That's what you're... supposed, Especially to... in marriages, like, no divorce. And if your husband abuses you, that's your fault. Right. You're supposed to forgive him of his, and make, and help him be a better person. So, yeah, it's putting all the responsibility onto the victim. And that has been portrayed in media, because that's the cult, that was culturally acceptable for a very long period of time, where it's like, yeah, you'd have mainly female characters, or, like, female-coded, which you can argue is kind of, like, in the relationship of Ben and... Charlie how that dynamic is set up with like abuser victim that Charlie is that female figure in the context of like that social structure Mm -hmm. so yeah it would be expected for Charlie to be like I forgive you Ben yes, be a better person. I will help you be a better person because that's what like traditional values tell that type of person to be. Like you're the vessel of forgiveness. It's your responsibility. But Charlie's like, fuck that. It is not my responsibility to fix you, Ben. You fix your fucking self. I don't have to, I don't need to be a part of that at all. And like Ben is almost, again, because he comes from traditional family values, He's expecting Charlie to be like, yeah, I'll help you. I will help you be a better person. I'll forgive you, Ben. Like, he comes into this conversation with that expectation, and Charlie is like, no, I'm my own person. I'm not responsible for you. You're responsible for you, Ben. What you choose to do, you need to live with the consequences of that. And that's basically this conversation, and it's so good and so important because, yeah, stop with the fucking victim-blaming shit. Like, victims are not responsible for their abuser's behavior during after or before. It is all on that abuser to, like, figure their fucking shit out and be a better person on their own because they want to, not because the victim is responsible for fixing them. So I do like this scene. I I think it puts a lot of things that have been hella problematic culturally for a very long time into the light, and this is a much healthier way for the victim to carry on with that. So, and I hope that through this that Charlie get some autonomy and like his mental health spiraling lessons because it seems a lot to be triggered by Ben. And by basically being like, fuck that get out of my life. I never want to see you again. That that trigger can at least be like eased a bit from him. Cause it's just been so huge this season. I'm really hoping, I know we see more of Charlie's uh, mental health in the next season. Oh, yeah. Cause that's what you told me. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Not that I know anything of what's happening. I mean, I'm lucky see, I know what happened already. You can see you can see the signs are there. Yeah. Like, even at the beginning of this episode where, like, Nick's like, oh, he's not eating again. Like, the mental health stuff is there. They purposely have sprinkled many, many signs of Car- Charlie's mental health decline throughout the whole show. It's just, like, you have to pick up on them. And Nick is getting better at picking up on them. So we, the audience, are getting better at picking up on them. Because he won't talk about that. He doesn't talk You just, you have to watch Charlie to see the the signs. Hopefully without Ben there, he'll be able to. Yeah. I mean, I think Ben is actually, I don't think we're going to see Ben again. No, he's out. The character, like, the actor's gone. Yeah, there is not really a lot of Ben. Actually, Ben's in, Ben's in solitaire. Ben is all, all over the place, so I find it really odd that they're just, they're cutting him out of the show. But That's totally fine. I I think it might be the actor's choice, and that's fine. I like the scene. I like his exiting. Like, I don't think we need to focus on him really in the show, but he's in the books for sure. I mean, yeah, he had his use in the show, but I'm kind of glad he's not there anymore. (laughs) So, towards I I believe it's the end of the scene. uh, We get this rainbow wave, and like, it's actually like a wave, wave, like that you see. Yeah, and you, you hear and you hear ocean sounds. Like yeah, it literally, is a wave. Uh, so we see the rainbow wave, and it comes close to Ben, and it's like very close to him, but it never touches him, and it's signifying that he will never be able to come out. He'll never get to have what Charlie has. Yeah, well, the wave comes up to Ben, and Ben kind of like hesitates, and then he steps away. Like he could step into it. But he chooses to step away. Mm -hmm. So I think that, yeah, Ben is choosing not to be like Nick and Charlie. He's going to choose the comp head life. He accepted that very quickly. So I don't think he'll ever allow himself to even think that it's a possibility. No, never. Um, And I'm not going to lie. This is probably one of my favorite scenes in the show. And like, you know, I probably said this before. Like Ben, this doesn't happen in the show. We don't get the backstory on Ben. Um, so, I like the way they expanded this because to me, Ben is fascinating in a very morbid way. He's the epitome of a tragic character and an unfortunate reality for so many people who are stuck in homophobic situations like this. And Ben, and I think that again, it ties back to Ben's line about the homophobic parents. And I think that if you look at it, there's a direct parallel being set up or foiling happening with. Darcy and Ben, because what they have in common is they both have homophobic families that are unwilling to accept them for who they are in their home life. And that leaves both of them with degrees of internalized self hatred. Because unfortunately, that's what happens. So, like, stop being so fucking homophobic. It psychologically damages people. But they have that self hatred because of their home lives. But the major contrast between them lies with how that trauma manifests in their behavior outside of that environment. Darcy goes polar opposite. She's just as gay as the day is long and has a whole ass girlfriend with whom she's proudly affectionate with in public and just embraces very fully who she is and is free when she's free of her oppressive family. So Darcy embraces who she is to summarize that. Ben, on the other hand, is the type of person that hates that part of himself that just cannot please his parents so much so that he hides it at all cost. He runs from who he is and he makes sad um his sad feelings about that hatred everybody else's problem, which is why he outwardly treats Charlie like trash. He's projecting his hurt and hatred onto Charlie. And cuz Charlie is out and pre- out and no, when he was outed, he didn't deny it and be like, no, I'm not gay. He was just like, yeah, i gay. He, like, he owned it, which is something Ben can never do. And Ben hates that Charlie can so easily do that when he can't. So he, like, takes those feelings out on Charlie. And in the conversation, Ben, you know, expressed that, like, he really did like Charlie. And I think that's true to a degree. He's torn between his desire for somebody like Charlie, somebody good like him, and to use his words, and his hatred at Charlie for just shoving being out in his face, because Ben is too scared to do that. So the part where Ben basically, like, honestly admits why he liked Charlie, like, I wanted something good, you were something good, like, that part kills me, because I think, not only did Charlie need to hear that, he needed to hear that he is good, right, because Ben did not make him feel that way, but like, Charlie is good, and I think he needed to hear that, but the way Ben lights up when he says it, almost like being honest about this part of himself, does bring him joy. But like you pointed out earlier, um, this was a very one-sided toxic relationship, and Charlie really didn't really did need to reject Ben here for his own well-being. And so when we get to the wave scene, the rainbow wave scene, the symbolism of him walking away from that approaching rainbow is so heartbreaking because he so easily could make the choice to be himself walk into the rainbow and walk into that exhibit because the rainbow is coming from that exhibit but he actively chooses not to because he's afraid and it's just very tragic and i think the fact that the creators chose to make this a wave is also intentional because again you hear the seagulls and this like speech sounds and remember, the beach was the location where Charlie and Nick found their happiness at the end of season one by proclaiming they were boyfriends and, like, they were going to tell people that mattered. And to have that happen here with Ben and to him, like, choose to walk away from it is 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 demonstrating, like you said, Ben will never have that. Never. He's never going to have the happy beach moment with a boy like Nick and Charlie did. So I love that, too. It's just... Sucks for him. It's sad, but, like... That is the reality for some people, you know. this mm-hmm. is this is real. and it just it sucks that, you know, people are beaten down by like homophobia from other people to the point where they hate themselves so much that they harm other people. Like it sucks that this is a reality. It really does. yeah. So bye, bye, Ben i thought you were fascinating but i thought you were about to say bye bitch bye bitch <laughs> yeah let, let's say goodbye to him and go to a scene where that we've both been dying to talk about for a while now the awkward and dinner this party is, <laughs> yes the awkward dinner party uh i don't like the beginning like we have to wait for uh the solo olivia coleman scene it's oh God, God. great oh, yeah. anyway so when we first get to Charlie's house. Nope. Nick's, Nick's house. house. Um, <laughs> Via Charlie, who is arriving at Nick's. Yes. Nick's dad is over. And he's hanging out with David watching rugby. Like, and, like, a that's the epitome. <laughs> like, ugh, of course they are. They're doing man that's, stuff. That's all I can think of. They got beers. They're doing man stuff. Um, unsurprisingly, but annoyingly, uh, Nick's dad does not remember Charlie's name when he comes in. He's like, uh, and you are? You literally met, like, if you, if he would have just talked to you about him, maybe, but you met him. It's been less than a week. (laughs) It's just, it goes goes to show you how little Nick's dad pays attention to anything that isn't himself. So there's that. Olivia Coleman is amazing as always. And she tells Nick that he doesn't have to tell his dad about uh, Charlie being his boyfriend because he doesn't deserve to know if Nick doesn't want him to. And you know what? At this point, I don't think his dad deserves anything. No. His dad's Maybe gonna... David. Also, he deserves to have to live with David. Also his dad's not gonna remember. He can't even remember Charlie's name. So even if you tell him, what's the point? <laughs> but Nick says, I'm not doing it for him, I'm doing it for me, which good on you, Nick. Like, good on you. That that's the that's the good attitude to have about those. And then luckily, uh, Not too much can happen in between this. And Charlie's family arrives. And it's important to note that Tori is seated next to David. Poor Tori. Yes. Another important note is that Tori does not have a drink with a straw during any of these scenes. So that will explain her behavior later. Because no straw equals murderous Tori. So there's that. Charlie did not give them the note like that they needed to have diet lemonade with a straw no it's harley gets stressed out by big dinners so the other thing to take note so he wasn't thinking straight so the other thing to take note of is that all throughout dinner charlie is playing with his food but he doesn't actually eat any of it he's just like cutting it to smaller pieces and like pushing it around his plate oh man poor kid anyway uh, so David starts being David, and he tries yes. to out Nick, like, just kept prompting him and egging him on to tell his dad, and Tori, he's, like, getting so pissed off with him already, and she speaks up, asking what his problem is. Yeah, because she doesn't have a drink of the straw. She's like, I will cut you without hesitation. <laughs> cut you like a bitch. <laughs> But, like, despite all the murder energy that's happening at this table, it all goes over Nick's dad's head because the magic word of rugby is spoken at some point during the conversation because, like, Nick's like, oh, well, or, or, well, actually, David was like, oh, yeah, yeah, Nick was, like, really adamant about Charlie joining rugby, and I don't know why. And Nick's dad's like, rugby? Um because according to him like oh you play rugby i'll learn your name now rugby rugby yeah 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 because it's a very attractive sport to women that's why he cares about it because like he has no personality or thought process at all and olivia (laughs) coleman's face is just priceless when he says that (laughs) shit because she's like what okay it's like how did i be with this asshole yes like okay There's that. And while the comphet sentiment here is gross, I will admit, rugby isn't an attractive sport to me when women are playing it. So, he's not wrong. But clearly, Nick's dad is more concerned about appearing attractive to women than he is about his own offspring, which is disgusting. That is how I feel about soccer now, by the way. I mean... Yes. It's like, all I had to do was watch women play it. it Who would have thought? It makes more sense when women are doing it. It just does. So naturally, this conversation of being attractive to women then devolves into, do you boys have girlfriends yet? Because that's something that you always ask. And I don't know if this is true around the world, but at least in America, it's common to ask kindergartners if they have a girlfriend. It's disgusting. My God, my grandma would ask me that since like middle school on. Do you have a boyfriend yet? And I'm like, ugh. Yeah, like I a part of me died every time I got asked that question yes. because I thought something was wrong with me yep. that I didn't like anyone. Yep, and I don't want to tell my ultra conservative grandmother, but then eventually it was satisfying to be like, I'm marrying a woman, get over it. <laughs> no boyfriends, however, so it was that this grandmother. This is my wife, <laughs> Fuck that shit. Ugh. If you're into boys, go for it. Just, I, it's annoying when it's assumed the comp stuff is really annoying. Like, are you seeing anyone? Better question. Also, stop asking that to literal children, comp people. Cause, yeah, I don't weird. understand. It's so, because they do. Weird. I think it's even preschool. Like, if, if the child can talk, yeah, the people they're like, are oh, seeing. look, boyfriend and girlfriend, and they're like eating mud together in their diapers. And, and like, you're going to tell me that they can't see. A same-sex couple on TV when you're asking them if they have a girlfriend? Yeah, because, yeah, it's the gay people indoctrinating people into sexuality. Meanwhile, the streets are, like, trying to push straightness onto their literal babies. It's fucking creepy. Stop sexualizing children. It's just weird. They do it all the time. It's gross. So, when David keeps pushing this topic because of course he does of course tori grabs david's arm (laughs) i wish she broke it i know um to stop him from saying anything else and nick gets so fed up with it and says screw it and he comes out to his dad and does an amazing speech about how his dad is never there and he only sees him twice a year anyway so what does it matter yeah because poor nick has been like really stressing out about coming out to his dad but he's just like this is ridiculous I don't even care anymore he's just done trying to win the affection of a father who doesn't take an interest in him and he's over David's bullying so I love that he just stands up to both of them at once and he's like I like my life and I like who I am so your bullying won't work on me and I'm not afraid of you dad so, Charlie and Nick are both standing up for themselves in this yes, episode. Yes, to their bullies, respective bullies. And absent father, who's kind of like a bully in a way because like Nick's always like, I want your affection and Dad's like, now. The key of this all is that learning to love yourself is the key to happiness and Nick has that now and it's a very beautiful moment and I love it. What else is beautiful yes. is that <laughs> Olivia Coleman also tells David to knock it off. And even his dad is disappointed in him but olivia Coleman does not like <laughs> that like even though his dad is sticking kind of sticking up for nick in this moment olivia colman's like bitch yeah <laughs> you have no right to say anything about your children i don't i don't even know if she says your his children or anything because he's never around. Oh my god! This... Like I'm raising these assholes. No, only Dave is the asshole. You know what I mean. <laughs> this exchange was fucking priceless. Cause the dad, the dad starts it by looking at David after he's being a homophobic prick, and the dad's like, "You have not grown up to the man. I hope you'd be." And Olivia Colman just puts this, this bitch in his place, and it's just glorious. Where she's like, you have no right to speak on this topic, Mr. I-see-you-twice-a-year, so fuck you. <laughs> and while this is, fight is happening, like, Nick and Charlie leave to go out. Well, Nick leaves, because he's, like, enough. And then Charlie follows him. The fight is keeps going, and so you could hear it when they're outside. And it's so fucking funny, because you just hear Olivia Colman just, like, putting this man into his place, and it's so fucking fuck but i also love that but charlie's family's just sitting there at the yeah table. they're like what do we do they're like fuck can we go outside <laughs> too <laughs> and like leave um yeah so Char- charlie does leave to check out check on nick who basically starved outside and nick admits that it really felt good to say it like it felt good to be honest and come out and even though the, you know it blew up like that but it felt good and in cute boyfriend fashion charlie rewards him with a hug he earned a hug yeah. No. And then Olivia Coleman comes out because she is the best mom and wants to make sure that oh he's God, okay. She really is. Like, one of the best TV moms of all time is Olivia Coleman. The bar is not that high. No. Because <laughs> she like, just comes out to check on him and stands up for him. Why is this bar not higher? I would say Olivia Coleman makes the bar pretty high, to be honest, for like moms period because she's like on screen i mean olivia coleman is great first of all it's olivia coleman so there's that and second of all it's like very consistently she's very attuned to nick and like yeah gives him space and like she honestly is a really great mother to him like it's very this is like top of the line supportive parent is olivia coleman and this, this scene really encapsulates it too great energy as well yeah and the conversation she has here with them is really remarkable because she's it's this has to be a really hard conversation to have from her point of view because they're talking about the fact that nick's dad is an absent father and nick is like why doesn't he care because it's really frustrating to be the child of this i'd imagine whose parent just like does not fucking care about them and parents are supposed to care about their kids and Olivia Coleman very easily could lie to him and be like, oh, he cares, but in his old way, and like make excuses, which is like the polite thing to do in like polite society. But instead, again, A plus Mom moment, she's honest and she says, I wish I understood, but I don't. I Olivia think... Coleman doesn't like bullshit. That's why she's not married to this dude anymore. Yeah. And but I love this where she's like, I wish I understood, but I don't. I think it's a very sad way to exist. You know, I love that honesty from her. It's it, She doesn't make excuses for him. She doesn't try to coddle Nick. She's just very honest. She's like, I don't know. I don't know why he's like this, but it must be sad. It's just, it's such a beautiful relationship that they have. Like, I, I haven't really come across a parental kind of relationship quite like theirs. I mean, like, because, like, there's, like, I don't know, for my Gilmore Girls is, like, a good one. But it's, like, the mother-daughter relationship is very, like, it's more friend-like This one is very much like parent child, but it's she doesn't treat Nick like he's a child. She doesn't lie to him or coddle him. She's very honest with him in a healthy way. Like the communicate this is why Nick is such a good communicator, because she is such a good communicator and he grew up in that household. So like that actually, now that think about it, makes so much sense. Like their communication is just next level. And what you were saying about like the relationship. Usually, if it's not like a strained relationship, it is like the friendship type relationship. Exactly. So it is. It is nice to see. Yeah. Totally. This is a uh, this is a really good mother son relationship, like mother child relationship. It's so good. Holy shit. So with all that said, uh, the absent father goes to leave again. It's on brand. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. Is who's surprised? Anybody? Nope. Well, David is actually surprised, so we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> David, I don't, I don't think he knows what life is. Okay, no. Anyway, right. so the dad says he wants to be better, and Nick, it probably heard this many times before, and he just says, "Show it." Yeah, and basically, like after Nick's just like, "I'm not gonna coddle you. I this is we're done." David comes down the stairs. He's like, oh, you're leaving, Dad? You're leaving? And then there's a moment where it sinks in for David that the dad doesn't care about him either because dad's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll see you later in London, you know, where you go to school. And David's like, Glasgow. I go to school in Glasgow. So it's like... David was riding his hide horse that, like, yeah, dad doesn't really know Nick, and, like, me and dad were bonding over rugby, so, like, dad loves me more. And it's very evident in this moment, that, like, no, dad doesn't give a shit about either of you. This is, your dad does not care about you either. And so, reality check for David that, let's be real, he needed, he has daddy issues, that's why he's such a little prick. The dad is very moment-based parenting. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, I'm your dad now. Once right. I leave this house, who are you? Right, exactly. Um, And before Dad bounces for good, he he does say to Nick that he genuinely thinks Charlie is a very good person. So I'm glad that Nick at least got that approval of, like, he's like, I don't understand these bisexual things. But, like, Charlie seems like a good person. So I like that Nick at least gets that. And he says his name, so he remembered Charlie's fucking name. So that's good. He got one thing right. (laughs) Character growth. Ugh. So after uh, the dad leaves, do we ever know his name? It doesn't matter. Okay, David sits on the stairs because he—that's—he's being not his room, his stairs. Yeah, and he's on the phone with his friend, complaining about Nick and Charlie. Meanwhile, Tori is in the bathroom. Yeah, so she overhears David blaming the evening. The evening drama on Nick's, quote, drama queen boyfriend's influence. And, sir, that is not what you say in front of Tori, because those are fighting words in the Spring household. Talk a shit about Charlie. But this, this screenshot that you pulled, uh, it's when David is sitting on the stairs and Tori is towering over him. And it's a very low angle. You just see, like, the power she has right now. The murder is in her eyes. The energy's wafting. And this dumbass does not feel the murder over his shoulder. He's just awkwardly holding his phone. Like, who does this? Because he's talking through earpods. So, like, he doesn't need to be doing this. He doesn't need to be baiting Tori like this. So what does Tori do, Caitlin? She comes out and kicks his phone out of his hand and calls him a pathetic little man. God, I love that. High grade for Tori. Love it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> wish well, she kicked him in the head, though. I Yeah, I thought she was going to fight him, but <laughs> that works, too. Kick his phone. Because he is a pathetic little man. He definitely is. He has daddy issues. Uh, so at the so then we get to the end of the evening where the Spring family is leaving, and Charlie admits that Nick is a nice boy, and she's warming up to him. So congrats, Charlie. Your master plan worked. Um, then the boys do this, like, they do a goodbye-goodbye thing instead of hi-hi. Outside the door, and during this, the topic of prom comes up, because it's tomorrow, as Tara told us earlier, <laughs> and Charlie asks Nick... Well, so we don't forget. Yeah, so you don't forget that that is going to be the plot of the next episode. <laughs> uh, Charlie asks Nick if they're going to go together together, uh, and Nick is a little confused. He's like, um, well, duh, like, we're boyfriends, what What do you mean? And so this line seems weird to me but at first, but I wonder if Charlie's really asking... What he's really asking here is. uh, Are they going to be out? Because like prom makes him nervous. So I wonder if it's Charlie projecting his feelings. Versus like framing it as like. Well Nick like. Are you sure you want to be seen? That's a big step for you. But I think Charlie's actually really scared about it. Because they would be. They would be the only queer couple. And I think that that's really stressing out. Charlie. And he's just like not ready to admit. That he's actually scared. So he's just like you sure, Nick? And Nick's like, yeah. Obviously. I think Charlie just doesn't um trust that they can be out together. And have it go well? Yeah, because he's got that little voice yeah. in the back of his head that Ben kind of planted there, you know? Yeah. So, um yeah. So when Nick goes back inside, Olivia Coleman is doing the dishes, and he She mentions to Nick that she noticed Charlie didn't eat much. And this is when Nick starts to look up eating disorders. Yeah, because it's been, you know, Nick noticed that that was going on in Paris. He had a full meal, basically at the end of the meal in Paris. And then also here, there's a shot of like the plate and it's a full plate. Like Charlie did not eat anything. He just like sat there. So, yeah. That, that is definitely escalating. Um, so after that, we cut over to Darcy trying on the suit in front of a mirror. And she's, like, taking a selfie to send to Tara. And it's super cute. And she's like, we're going to look so cute. And she looks genuinely really happy to be wearing this outfit. Um, and she does send hit send before uh, Mommy Dearest barges in. So Tara does get this photo that's like, Tara, we're going to look so cute at prom. And she's in the suit. Yeah. Yeah, so her mom comes in yelling at her to take it off and that she can't wear it. And that is when the ominous purple fog comes in. And basically, like, this scene is really sad for a number of reasons. But to kind of, like, hit home the dissociation that... Darcy has going on like the sound of the argument starts to muffle and so to me that that's a way of like showing that Darcy's so tired of like this argument has happened not the words but this kind of argument must have happened so many times that Darcy kind of like tunes it out in a way and is just yelling back Uh, so that's become so normalized to her that she kind of dissociates a little bit in these moments um Hmm. Yeah, so Darcy uh, is arguing with her because, I mean, she, she's not going to just sit there and take it because no matter what, I, I that's not Darcy. No. Um, also, she's like fed she, up at this point. This is like yeah. a breaking point. Like these arguments keep happening. This one ends differently because Darcy's at a breaking point. Yeah, so Darcy is arguing that she likes it and her friends support her wearing it. Sure do. And her mom continues yelling because, of course, like they can't have a calm uh, conversation. But she orders Darcy to get out of the house. And I, I can't imagine what that feels like to be told to get out of the house that you're supposed to be safe in. You can't even live on your own. You're not old enough. It's a minor. Yeah. So Darcy grabs a few bags and runs out of the house. And the sad part is she's still wearing her prom outfit and has no jacket and it's fucking cold outside like you see the breath like the cold breath coming out when she like huffs when she leaves that house and that's like how much of a fucking hurry she was to get the hell out of there like uh, yeah it's really heartbreaking but darcy does it without hesitating because she's just like this it's a house not a home you know um it's a place not a safe space and she's just like, fuck this, and just leaves without thinking about it. Just grabs some shit, gets out. No jacket, no nothing. Nowhere to go, and she just walks away. Mm. What? Right, did we finish this? Caitlin... You have one more. Thank you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, I thought we talked about the dark clouds, but the dark clouds are looming around the whole screen. Yeah, like as and, she's as she's leaving. Yeah. Which I think is important. Because cuz Darcy doesn't feel safe at home and she feels suffocated whenever she is there. Yeah, suffocated is the great word for that. Like she can't breathe, can't thrive. Like, cause like the the fog or clouds or whatever we're calling it is very uh, dense. Yeah, exactly. Like they're not spread out; like they're no. very clumped together. So, and it's, it's a- kind of like, uh, you know, whenever they're like in cartoons, when there is like a toxic gas or something, yes, it kind of looks yeah. like that. No, totally. So. And I think it's significant that it's worse here than the first in the first scene at the beginning of the episode where she comes to the house. It's a lot smaller. Because, like, her mom's there, so, like, that ever-present toxicity is there, but the toxicity has gotten so bad, like, it's a bigger cloud now. So I think that's also demonstrating that as well, so. It's really sad that that happened to, to Darcy, but, you know, now, now we all know what is at, what has been going on with her this whole time and why she's been having those, like, kind of, like, dark moments intermittently throughout this the series, so... I mean, I know this is like easy to tell. I really don't like her mom. Well, yes, obviously. Her mom just I wouldn't be respo- I wouldn't be surprised if she's like got substance abuse issues or like something like that. She seems like the drunk parent. You know, that doesn't care about their kids. It's likely. Yeah. I just get that vibe, although it's not confirmed. So, Yeah, it's really shitty, but, you know, this was the heavy, heavy penultimate episode necessary so that we can get to the next episode. I mean, the episode's called Sorry. (laughs) Yes, it is called Sorry. So it's the creators being like, sorry for the pain you're about to go through. (laughs) We promise it's for a reason. Because Heartstopper is really good at having drama that is actually necessary for character arcs and is not just like Grey's Anatomy where they're like, everyone's getting on this plane and it's just gonna crash because drama it's like no there's actually a point to this and it's but you can't just have one plane crash there has to be multiple oh, of course because that show is insane but this one actually <laughs> there's a reason we had to go through this so we're sorry if reliving this with us has made you sad or down but we promise the next episode is gonna be perfect it's perfect so we'll talk about that next and we'll have our happy feels and rate the season And what we thought about it so hope you guys continue with us if you want to check out the reaction videos like caitlin said for the whole season they are on our patreon so you can head on over to there if you want uh if not we'll be back next time to talk about this season finale so woo! woo! but before we leave i did i do have a word now oh you do what is it caitlin it is well, curmudgeon. You gotta explain why you're saying this <laughs> word, Caitlin. You asked me what the word is, so I told you. Well tell Okay, the so listeners, why? We are curmudgeon. I don't even know if we I don't know if we have an episode yet in this. I think we do that uh, we give the words. So just in case you don't know, and this is your first episode with us, um Welcome. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you a word that I kind of already gave you anyway. Uh but you're going to I challenge you to uh, spell it without looking it up in the comments. Put it in your comment. Bonus points if you, like, actually comment and then use it in your comment. Yeah, that'd be amazing. (laughs) And then if if you're not watching on YouTube and you are listening to this lovely podcast... Uh, Leave a review and figure out how to put that word in there. I'm still waiting for some hero to take up that challenge. It hasn't happened yet. Yes, because our goal is to have reviews with, like, random words in there. Yeah, people are like, what is this podcast? (laughs) And it's really random. Yeah. So So I try to pick ones that... uh, Are really random. When you look at, you would not really understand how to spell it. So today I'm picking curmudgeon. Which is a good... It's- I don't know how to, sp- I don't know what it means or how to use it, so. Oh, Caitlin. It's actually a good word for this episode, so. Yeah. Maybe look it up after, so. All right. You have your challenge. Next time, everything's going to be perfect. And until next time, hydrate for lesbian Jesus. And gay it up all over the place. Bye. 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 <laughs> Bye. And with that, we've been Big Gay Energy. If you like this episode, check out all our other episodes on whatever you're using to listen right now. If you're listening on Apple, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review, no matter how brief. It helps us get into Apple's algorithm to reach a wider audience. Please feel free to reach out to us. We would love to hear from you about everything and anything. You can find us on all the social medias at Big Gay Energy Pod or email us at biggayenergypod at gmail.com. If you'd like to make friends with other queer media-loving people, reach out to us to join our Discord server. If you'd like to support us, check out our merch store, or join our Patreon for early access to episodes, exclusive content, and so much more. Until next time, stay safe and hydrate for Lesbian Jesus.